Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, January the 6th, 2020. This is Rick Morton. I'm Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and today we're continuing our study in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. So just to catch up again, uh, our study in 1 John, we are looking at the the letters of John to the church um, when John is writing at a time when there is controversy within the church because there are false teachers that have come up from within the church that are challenging the mission of the church and and are seeking to um, deceive and to ultimately destroy the church um, and to um, to 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 get the church uh, off mission and ultimately lead the church away from Jesus. And so um, today in, uh, in, in chapter two, we see specifically some warnings um, that, uh, that John gives to the church regarding um, the need for fidelity in the word of God and attentiveness to and walking in the spirit of God. Um, and so um, we are... Um, Squarely, John is talking about here, beginning in verse 18, about how easy it is for for us to be deceived. And and what we see, if we look down through um, the annals of church history, is that over and over and over, um, we as human beings that that follow Jesus have been proven historically um, to find it easy to be led astray and to to be deceived. And so there is there is great deception and there's great opportunity for deception around us um, all the time. And so um, as we as we jump into this, we're going to see that um, that John is speaking to the church and, and they they're in danger of being led astray by people who are who are seemingly making really good sense. And, and they're taking um, the gospel and twisting it around the thoughts and around the philosophy of the age and, and essentially are, are trying to lead people um, to follow them or to follow something um, that, is, that is not Jesus. Um, and we've seen this over and over and over again as cult leaders have arisen, as false teachers have arisen, as, um, as doctrines and heresies have arisen. We, we see it today in the prevalence of um, the prosperity gospel and those who are, who are preaching a gospel that sounds like um, it's authentic and it's of Jesus and it speaks of Jesus, but it, but it ultimately leads away from, uh, from a true faith commitment in Christ. And, and ultimately leads people to um, to pursue something in in success and in in prosperity for themselves um, that ultimately isn't the true end of the gospel. And so, so John is warning about this, and and he says uh, he says to them in verse eighteen, children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
but you have been anointed by the Holy Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know truth, but because you know it, and because it, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who confesses the or whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, um, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teachers... Um, teaches you about everything and is true, it is no lie, um, just as it is taught you abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so we're going to we're going to kind of look at three aspects of this passage, and we could really dig in and, and do lots of things today, but, but we're going to look at three, um, three distinct at, uh, attributes or, or three distinct ideas that rise up out of this passage. The first is um, that we are in the last days, and deception will happen in the last days. In verse 18, um, John begins with this affectionate address to the church, and he says, children, it is the last hour. Um, I think I think many people struggle with this idea of this or this concept of being in the last days, and it's led um, many to to um, to to really look at the scriptures wrongly. I think, and, and to try to anticipate um, the, the the coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus and the imminent return of Jesus. And I think there have been people in every age that were convinced that Jesus was going to come back in in their lifetime. What we know to be true is that that for more than two thousand years, the church has has existed, um, ordained by God, and that Jesus has um, has held up His coming. He's tarried His coming to this point. And, and that doesn't mean that Jesus is lax. It doesn't mean that he's not going to return. Um, but, but it also means it, it means something to us about the last days. Let's consider a few verses. Um, Acts 2, 16 and 17 says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so one of the things that we know about being in the last days is that God has poured out his spirit, that the Holy Spirit is, is here and active and, uh, and working and available to us and is our teacher and is our helper. Um, some way that we have evidence that we're in the last days is that we that we know and we sense and we abide in um, the Holy Spirit of God. Um, I think in in many conservative evangelical churches, one of the things we struggle with today is is a lack of awareness and a lack of attention on the Holy Spirit. And and John is is cautioning us that we have to be attentive to the Spirit. We don't need to be fearful of the Spirit. Um, we need to understand the Spirit, and we need to we need to strive to walk in the spirit and that the spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is fully God is, is a complete part of our triune God. He's not a, he's, he's not a secondary member. He's not just an impersonal force, but this is a way that God expresses himself. It, it is a person of the Godhead and, and it's a person that's personal with us. 
Second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 11, uh, we, we see that the Old Testament stories were written down for our instruction upon whom the end, um, written down for our instruction um, upon whom the end of the ages has come. And so, so the, the idea that we, that, that we are now in the last days means that we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of uh, the work of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So what does it mean to be living in the last days? It means to be living when Jesus is known, uh, when Jesus has accomplished his work and, and when Jesus is sitting on his throne um, as the victor. And so, so part of what it means, it doesn't mean necessarily that, that we're imminently expecting the Lord's um, or imminently able to predict the Lord's return. It doesn't mean Jesus may return today. He may return tomorrow. He may not return uh, for a thousand more years. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so we look to, to like the book of uh, of. of First and Second Thessalonians, where Paul is is writing to the church, and he's he's telling them that that they have to they have to endure, but they shouldn't quit. Um, that their job is not just to sit and, and look to the skies and to wait on Jesus to come back, but it's to have an urgency to serve and and to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth for as long as it is that Jesus will tarry. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, it was, it was the end of one age, the beginning of another age. We are in, um, we are in that age. And then 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 20, um, it's that Christ, he was destined before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the end of times, for your sake. And so another defining characteristic of this idea of being in the last days is, is that there is going to be increasing activity of the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I grew up in one of those churches where, where we were preoccupied about the coming of the Antichrist. And, and there was a um, kind of a pervasive notion that, that everything in the scriptures we viewed through the lens of the book of Revelation and through prophecy and, and through this idea that that Jesus was was returning and that his return is imminent. And all of that's true, but I but I don't think that God intends that we should receive that as a reason to look at charts and graphs and try to predict when it is, what day or month or year or or when the time is that Jesus will come back. What we need to to do is to realize that part of Part of the cycle of the future, part of the plan of the future is that there, the Bible tells us is there will, there will be an Antichrist who will come. What, is it, what does it mean to be uh, an Antichrist? It means to be um, one who, is, who is, is leading away from Jesus and, and one who is, um, who, who is trying to come in the place of Jesus. That um, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 24, he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That is an antichrist. 
And then in verse 24, he says, for, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And, and so the goal of Antichrist, the goal of the spirit of Antichrist is to, to lead people to worship them and to lead people away from Jesus. And we see this kind of thing all the time. We see it in, in cult leaders who come and, and, and claim to be the Messiah, who claim to be Jesus and and, and will we'll teach false doctrines. We see this in people in the church that would enrich themselves and would draw people away from an orthodox belief and, and following of Jesus and, and would, would draw the church to, um, to lose its way. I think today we see the spirit of Antichrist in those who would come into the church and would try to reinterpret the scriptures and would try to reinterpret the faith once for all delivered to the saints in terms of the philosophies and in terms of the, the prevailing winds of today. And so those that would come in and, and would try to try to bend or reshape or to to change those things that God has revealed to him to us about himself and those things that he has revealed to us about how we're to pursue him, that, that those people would, would literally be, uh, would be antichrist. And we know um, that, that the essence um, of antichrist is, is around us as people would, um, would lead us away um, from the fully incarnate Jesus. And, and that the, 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 that the spirit of Antichrist is, is alive and well in the church as people seek to diminish Christ and substitute other views or, or other philosophies in the place of uh, the gospel. And so, um, and, and so we need to be on guard. John was speaking specifically into a, a condition in the church where, where there were those that were coming that were where they were preaching a philosophy that wasn't consistent with the gospel, and they were trying to lead people away from the church and lead them into condemnation. And, and he, was, he was basically saying that, that and he said to the, the, the church, you know the truth. You have been tra taught the truth. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You do not need another teacher to teach you something else because you've already been taught what it is that's important. And so that kind of leads us to our second point that, that yes, we need to be on guard and, and we need to test and try the spirits of, of those who would who would lead us astray, um, but but that also we can be confident because the Word of God and the Spirit of God um, they protect us from this deception and they lead us toward eternal life in Christ. And so we have the Word of God and and the Spirit of God. And so if you look in verses twenty and twenty one of our of our passage uh, from today, John says. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now, you see, what these false teachers were doing in the church is they were coming in and saying that there's a special truth that's been hidden from you, and only we have the truth, and so therefore we're going to give you the truth that you've not previously had. What John is saying is, is that you have the Holy Spirit, and truth has been revealed to you, and you know what is true, and so therefore you need to walk in what you know to be true. 
And, and, and so how do we discern the spirit of Antichrist when we see that there's a teacher that's trying to lead us into some new thought, into some expansion or into some recrafting of the truth of the gospel, and, and ultimately that they're trying to lead us into some new hidden truth because, because the Holy Spirit has come that we might know truth and we might know truth fully and that it's not hidden from us because we have the abiding Christ. Second of all, how do we know? Um, well, we know because, because we have the word. Look in, in verse 24. In verse 24, he says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then too will the then you will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. And so there's this idea that, that where do we find this? We, we're, like we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we're helped by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we also have to have the enduring word of God. And, 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 so, and, and so God doesn't work in one or the other without the other, but he works in both. Um, how can we identify the spirit of Antichrist? Well, one way that we can identify someone who's working in the spirit of Antichrist is that they're elevating one of these but not the other. And so people that would elevate the work of the spirit and would elevate the mystical but not grounded in um, the word of God should be, we should, we should worry about them and we should, we should test and try and make sure that they're not leading us astray um, from, from, the, from the sufficient uh, life-giving work uh, word of God. By the same token, those who come and and preach only um, the word of God and, and teach only the word of God, but don't acknowledge the, the 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 interpreting and confirming and convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Those are to be to be watched as well. Those are those are legalists who come and and would want to weight people down by the requirements of the word, as opposed to introducing people um, to the God of the word and to. to to learn and to meet and to commune with God as a result of what we've seen uh, him invest in us uh, through the word of God. And so, and so in the church, what we have to do is, is we have to be people who are equally in love with the word and equally in love with the spirit and that we let the spirit uh, guide us in the word. And so, that, so then, therefore, how do we how do we proceed forward? How do we process? Well, in, in in verse twenty six, he says, "I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in Him. And so, in other words, He says that we should let the Word of God abide in us, and that we should we should abide in the Spirit of God. Um, and 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 so, a couple of places that the Apostle Paul talks about this kind of idea of abiding. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, uh, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, and always in for everything give thanks. And so our goal in this is, 
is to be people who fall in love with the word of God and that and that rehearse and 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 pour over uh, the word of God. We need to be people who who love the word, who live in the word, who who memorize the word, who pray um, the word, and and that as we engage God's word deeply, as we commit it to memory, as we agonize over every word, that we lay ourselves open before the Holy Spirit, that we realize that we need God in order to interpret his word and in order to lead us toward truth. And ultimately, um, we will be led into what has been given to us from the beginning um, so that we might know the Son and might know the Father. And ultimately, as John says here, that we might be led uh, into eternal life. Today, we are praying um, for Ukraine this week. And so um, several prayer requests that we have as a ministry here at Lifeline, we'd ask for you to join us is to pray for our families who are currently in the process of, of adopting from Ukraine, what can often be um, a, a very uncertain process and a very difficult process. Pray for more families to, to step forward with the desire to adopt older children that are coming from hard places and harsh places that, that they would be ready to open their homes um, to these children and, and to provide for them um, a, a home where they can know Jesus and, and be led to follow Jesus. We want to pray for the ministry, the SDA, and for the officials in Ukraine to be efficient and timely as they're approving paperwork and, and, and they're working on the behalf of children. And we pray uh, that they will make the orphan children of Ukraine a priority for them. We want to pray for uh, Ukraine as it considers becoming a Hague country. We want to pray that uh, that the Lord would use um, the, the provisions of the Hague Treaty as a means to protect children and as a means to, to see ethical adoption happen. We want to pray for the potential work of unadopted in Ukraine. We want to thank the Lord for what he has done so far and, and for the way that unadopted was able to begin work in Ukraine many years ago. And we want to pray for God to open doors uh, for us to move forward to care for orphan and vulnerable children um, in the nation of Ukraine, which is very dear to us. We want to pray for future hosting opportunities. Uh, we want to pray that we'll collaborate with the right people, the right organizations, and that God will, will help us to connect with children that we can demonstrate the gospel to and, and that we can help them to be connected to uh, forever families where they're going to hear the gospel and be taught to know the gospel. Uh, we want to praise the Lord for the children that have many, many, many children that have come home from Ukraine over the last 17 years that we've been working um, diligently in in this in, in adoption in Ukraine, and finally, we want to pray for our Lifeline Eurasia team, both here in Birmingham and those that are on the ground in Ukraine, that they continue to build and foster relationships that will help us to do the work that the Lord has place before us. And so today, Lord, we thank you for the nation of Ukraine and for the opportunity that you have given us to, to serve and to care for vulnerable children in your name. And God, we pray today um, that these things will be accomplished in your time for your sake, um, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the proclamation of your gospel. We want to thank you today for, for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Um, it is our pleasure always to connect with you. You can learn more about Lifeline uh, by going to 
lifelinechild.org, our website, or following us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, and and the other channels at Lifeline Child. Uh, And so once again, this is Rick Morton. I'm thankful to have spent the day with you, and we look forward to unpacking another, uh, another scripture with you in the book of 1 John next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.